All right, can we just clap after every video? That makes it easier on me. Is that all right, just as I come out here, guys? Guys, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, let marriage be held in honor by all. Now, that's not happening in our culture today, but it still kind of happens, because every once in a while, like if I got up here right now and I said, in this room, there's a couple, and you know, stand up, Bobby and Susie, they've been married for 50 years. You'd all be like, unbelievable, right? We just do that. It's like involuntary, because ah, we, we know that marriage is uh, an adventure, that's for sure. <laughs> I've been married for 13 years. Marriage is an adventure and it's an achievement and uh, it's all about human flourishing, okay? You can type to Ephesians 5. We're gonna be talking about marriage for the next two weeks, so get ready. And God's first institution is marriage and it was created for human flourishing. He gives marriage and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it's this amazing institution God gives for human flourishing, but let's just be honest and I'm so grateful for the Bobbits. Marriage is unbelievably hard, right? They were transparent, they were honest. Uh, what you say in marriage, I told you this before, but it's just good to know. Married couples, say it again to yourself, okay? If you're gonna get married, you just know this. Marriage is saying this, I'm committed to you in all the ways that you're gonna change. Uh, I choose you today and I choose you every day. Here's the interesting thing about marriage, something to think about, maybe you never thought about it this way. Uh, marriage is one of the things, and I know we got single people in here, and we love the single people, and, and listen in, this is for everybody, but marriage is one of the things, there's not many things, marriage is one of the things that sinks your life across time. That's kind of what the Bobbits were saying. So here's what that means. Like, you get married, and you don't have kids, and then you have kids, and then hopefully your kids grow up, and then really, hopefully, they leave, right? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> they leave. Uh, but, then, but then your parents die if you're long enough married, and, and then you move, and then you have different jobs, and then illness and injury and sickness and suffering visit your house, and you know what you say over the last 30 years? Man, everything's changed except this relationship. It's the one thing in my life that has been synced up and has been the same in the midst of everything else changing. Well, we've been asking a question for a while as a church. How do we have strong marriages? And maybe that's the wrong place to start. We better maybe first ask, how, how do you have a strong church? You have to have a strong church is made of strong families and strong families are made of strong marriages and strong marriages are made of, you know this, strong men and women. And so here's what we've been thinking. We've been thinking, how do we better do ministry to men and ministry to women? I didn't say launch a men's ministry, launch a women's ministry, but in an attempt to strengthen marriages, we wanna strengthen men and women and so we're gonna do something we've never done before. We're gonna have a men's night and a woman's night in August. Put them on the screen, this is really exciting. We're gonna be bringing Christine Hoover in, some of you know who that is. Book writer, author, speaker, pastor's wife, helped her husband plant a church. Yes, the women get two nights, okay? It's because there's so many of you, okay? And the men I'm bringing in and I'm really excited and I know I'm given to hyperbole, but I genuinely think that Brian Loritz is one of the greatest Bible teachers alive today. And he's gonna be coming to speak to the men. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to speak to the unique identities of men and women, right? Only a woman is gonna be a sister and a daughter and a wife and a mother. Only a man is gonna be a brother and a husband and a son and a father. And the unique temptations and challenges. Women uniquely struggle with anxiety and depression, among other things. Men uniquely struggle with alcohol and antisocial behavior. I mean, we have different temptations, different challenges. So would you mark your calendar, make it a priority? Uh, you're gonna be able to sign up online or probably outside at the welcome tent. Let me take a moment, pray for the men and women, and then we're gonna start a little kind of mini series within this series, just looking for the next two weeks on marriage. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just wanna pray. I pray for husbands and wives. I pray for single men and single women. Um, I pray for sons and daughters and brothers and sisters in this room. And it is an uh, awesome opportunity to 
be made in your image to understand who we are. But there are unique temptations and challenges. I pray for this night, that this, the, these nights for the women and for the men would be catalytic events. That they would be these moments in time, like Promise Keepers was for men for a season. I know women had their own thing where men would come to something and they would say, I heard a word, I drew a line in the sand, I made a decision, and we, we pray to see that happen this August. This is just part of our strategy and our vision to come alongside our church to uniquely speak to men and uniquely speak to women. Would you bless this evening? Would many people make it a priority? In President Christ's name, amen. Well, speaking of marriage, I've officiated a lot of weddings. I guess this is what happens when you did college ministry for 10 years and and then after that, you know, when you plant a church and everybody's your age or younger, that's how it started out for the most part, you do a lot of weddings. And when all your staff is young and single and you do a lot of weddings. And so guys, I've done a lot of weddings. And here's what that means. I've done a lot of premarital counseling, okay? I'm not a great counselor. I just tell you, okay? But I did a lot of premarital counseling. And I can remember when I was first kind of figuring out how to do premarital counseling, I, I do what I try to always do, which is I try to learn from other people. So I read the books and I listened to the podcasts and I called the other pastors and I looked at the curriculum and... Let me just tell you, because if you've never been to premarital counseling, uh, let me just encourage you maybe, uh, all premarital counseling is basically the same. I looked at it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so easy because it's all the same categories. You know what they are, because it's all the problems and pain points of marriage. That's all you talk about in premarital counseling. Like, all right, here's the section on in-laws. I mean, outlaws, you know, whatever, you know. You're like, all right, you know, here, we got to talk about the sensitive subjects. It's a little awkward. We're going to talk about sex and money. You gotta do the whole, okay, guys, you know, tell me your spiritual background and your testimony. Tell me your birth order. Tell me your parents. Are they still married? How do they relate? You gotta do the whole communication and conflict thing. Like, this is how you apologize, and this is how you forgive, and here's the right expectations. But the session that's always the most interesting to me is roles and responsibilities. What should a husband do in marriage? What should a wife do in marriage? I mean, should they do basically the same thing? Is that all they are? They're just kind of roommates? I mean, is there any difference? Well, here, if you'll type to Ephesians 5, 22, we're gonna spend, this is just three verses, okay, get ready. Uh, only three verses for the next 50 minutes here, but here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at, over this week and next week, the longest passage in the entire Bible on marriage. So Bible, the, the Bible addresses marriage a lot. I mean, you can go to, I won't take you through it all, but you can go to Genesis 1 and 2, and the book of Malachi has a section, and there's places in Deuteronomy, and, and there's places in Paul's other epistles, but the reason we're going to spend two weeks, I'm not just going to do one week and just talk to everybody. In fact, I'm mostly, get ready, ladies, just going to, now you know I didn't give this message to Ricky, right? Ricky's like, you can't give me the submit to your husband's you know, message. <laughs> you can't fly me in from Vegas to do submit to your husband's, okay? I didn't want to give it to Johnson. I took it, okay? So there you go. So we're gonna get there, we're not, not yet though, but, but basically we've gotta talk about this because there's three lies, we're gonna to get to the text in a minute, there's three lies that you're told about gender, and I know I'm talking about gender a lot, it's because our culture's talking about it a lot. Let me just give you the three lies, and then because we're gonna to have to get into what does a wife do, and she doesn't do the same thing a husband does because he tells a wife to do certain things and a husband to do other things, and that's repeated in other places. And So here's the three lies about gender, that we're the exact same, that men and women are the exact same, that the only difference is plumbing and hair distribution and tone of voice, and that's it. And anyone who's ever had a boy and a girl knows that's a lie, right? I know I'm stereotyping a little bit, but right? Girls like to play with Barbies, and boys like to kill and shoot things. You can give him a grilled cheese sandwich, he'll nod into a gun and shoot you. I mean, that's just what the boys will do. <laughs> We're different, it's okay. We're here, listen, you gotta be sophisticated about this stuff, right? We're more the same than different. That's actually technically how we can communicate. 
kind of, with one another, right? <laughs> Husband with wife, man with woman. It's like, we're more the same than different. Okay, here's, that's the first lie. We're the exact same. The truth, we're more the same than different, but we're different. Second lie, one of us is superior. That's right, chauvinism or feminism, right? You actually have seen this in cultures forever. I mean, this is actually still what happens globally. It's like, go to most third world countries and they still prefer boys. The boy is superior because the boy can work in the field and the boy can produce. And China got itself in a whole mess with its one child policy plus infanticide plus preference for boys. We've seen where that goes. The third lie is that this is all socially constructed. What's very interesting is, um, and, and I've talked about this, so I'm not gonna get into it. We got so much covered tonight. But basically, if you lose a sense of creation, all you have is culture. And what we're gonna see today is Paul always roots roles, not in culture. That's why I don't believe these things change. Because Paul doesn't say, hey, listen, this is what's happening in first century Rome. Let's, you know, do that. He, he always goes back to Adam and Eve and points that. Okay, so here's what we need to do. We need to just read the passage already. You'll see, you'll see why this is the most controversial passage in Ephesians. Here's what it says. Wives... So I'm gonna be uniquely speaking to the women tonight. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Then Paul gives us a reason in verse 23. He tells us why. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So he's, he's redeeming and revolutionizing marriage by putting Jesus at the center of it. And Jesus has the pattern of it. Here's what he's doing. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And then just another summary verse, in case we missed it. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, I gotta talk about marriage just for a few minutes, but the rest of the time I'm gonna be talking to you ladies, okay? <laughs> but just marriage for a few minutes. Marriage is a big deal, but not in our culture today. In April, David's bridal went bankrupt. I know e-commerce, I know Amazon, I don't know how all the online stuff works, but think about this. David's bridal was a staple in American culture. And for many young ladies was the place they went to pick out their dress for their wedding. It went bankrupt. Last month, the New York Times wrote an article about a concern that jewelers have because no one's buying engagement rings. Here's what's interesting. Think with me for just a moment because I wanna talk to you uniquely about having a Christian marriage. Here's my heart for you, all of us. This is the heart of the pastors and the staff for you guys. We want you to have a Christian marriage, not a good pagan marriage. That's very different. I can tell you, I like to do this kind of stuff. I can tell you how to have a good pagan marriage. You know, here's the three tricks and techniques and tips for communication, good pagan marriage. I can tell you, do date night, you know, put the kids to bed at a decent hour. I mean, we can, don't let them sleep with you. The kids, right? Um, <laughs> clarify that. So I can do the tips and tricks and techniques, but that would just help you have a better pagan marriage, a secular marriage. The Bible's not interested in that. It wants you to have a Christian marriage. Now, here's what's interesting. It is very sad. 92% of the world's population, according to a recent study by Pew, uh, the Pew Research Firm, lives in a place where the marriage rates are declining. 
And you know what's interesting? They're mostly declining. This is just something to think about. I don't know what all it means. I'm trying to interpret it. You know where marriage is really declining? It's declining among blue-collar, lower-middle-class people. All of the elites are still getting married. What does that tell you? Did you see that Jeff Bezos is getting married? I was like, what? I was like, he's been, you know, I mean, he's been sleeping with his girlfriend. Why is he getting married? He's not a Christian. They're not gonna have kids. That prenuptial agreement is gonna be the size of a phone book. <laughs> Let me tell you why, because marriage calls to us. Because marriage is the ideal. Because I think it's in, in the human heart. Now what's happened in our society today is it's been delayed or it's been dismissed. I'm not gonna give you the whole marriage ages are, are rising or you, know, you, you all know that. But here's the sad thing, when people delay and dismiss marriage, they often miss out on marriage completely. And here's the reason this is, and I'm not here to discourage anyone, because I know especially we've got a lot of young ladies and young men, but especially young ladies who want to get married. The truth is you get about four to six chances of, at a romantic relationship in your life. That's, I mean, a couple people are going to get a lot more than that, and that's about it. Most people, most average people, and most of you and me, we're average, hate to break it to me, okay? You get four to six, you look back on your life and you go, that makes sense. You watch other people, you go, that makes sense. They got about four to six chances, that's all you get. The Bible prioritizes marriage. We delay it, we dismiss it, we discourage it to our own peril. What does it mean to have a uniquely Christian marriage? I wanna give you just two things and then we're gonna to talk to the women the rest of the time. The, the first thing is it has to be a Christ-centered marriage. Now that's easy, well, you know, okay, of course it does. You can see Jesus is the center and the pattern of marriage. He's at the center of it, but he's the pattern, right? Husbands, be ahead like Christ is the head and we'll get to all the things he's gonna say and, and submit to, to, to your husband as you would to Christ. And you're, well, next week we'll see all the things that men should do because Christ did them. So he's the center and he's the pattern. And here, here's what you need to hear. And, and this is really, I think, a timely word. You need to have a Christ-centered marriage instead of a career-centered marriage. Lots of people have career-centered marriages. I've seen marriages get in a lot of trouble because they prioritize the career of one person or another. It was the, I've seen couples, strange, strange, live apart. Have you ever seen this? I knew a couple that, I, and they, they're no longer married. And she got into the best law school ever and he had the best job somewhere else and they just said, you know, and I told him not to do this. And she went here and he went there and they spent three years apart. I mean, they visit each other on the weekends and stuff, but that's a career-centered marriage. Many of you will be tempted to have a child-centered marriage. Have you seen, most people actually go to career-centered to child-centered. And it normally happens when the wife turns about 30 and she's like, I'm tired with my career, I'm ready for a child. And she moves from a career-centered home to a child-centered home. And this is why most marriages fall apart when the youngest kid goes to college. Why? Because they didn't have a Christ-centered marriage, they had a child-centered marriage. This is also why lots of women, as soon as their daughter gets married or their son gets married, they start saying, when will you give me grandbabies? Now, that, some of that can be good and some of that can be, I don't know how to live if a child's not at the center of my life. The second thing that's unique about a Christian marriage is marriage is for holiness, not happiness. Now, happiness is a great part of marriage. That We call that the honeymoon phase. It comes and goes. Marriage is continuing to re-fall in love with the person you first fell in love with, okay? That would be the best way to explain a marriage when it's working well. You're, you're continually, over time, re-falling in love, and there's happiness, but it's ultimately for your holiness. It's, it's a microwave for sanctification, okay? 
This is why, and I wanna be so careful, but I need to share these things so you get the picture because marriage is what, what God uses to make you more like Christ and what he uses to make you the godliest version of yourself and what he uses to get rid of all the weird idiosyncrasy things about you, right? The, one of the things that happens, again, that doesn't always happen, doesn't always have to happen, but if a person remains single all their life, they tend to become very eccentric. And why is that? Because they don't have their wife constantly saying, don't do that! <laughs> Use a breath mint! Sit up straight! Eat healthy food! Men live longer when they're married, why? What we can tell, because their wife makes them go to the doctor. <laughs> okay. Rest of the time is for women. Okay, here, here's what we've got left. Turn with me to, we're gonna just reread it again. Here, verse 22, for, I'm just gonna read it. Okay, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself a savior. So we talked about a Christian marriage, Christ at the center. Sanctification is the goal. Verse 24, now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives also submit in everything to their husbands. All right, ladies, I want to be honest with you. I'm gonna speak, by the way, I, this whole sermon is gonna be completely to the ladies, and I'm not really gonna say much to the guys. So, sorry, ladies. No elbowing him or anything like that, okay? Um, but next week, I'm gonna basically all talk to the guys. I'm not gonna say much to the ladies, but th this week, I'm gonna talk a lot to the ladies. Now, how many ladies, this is your favorite verse? Come on, no, it's not your favorite verse. <laughs> you have it crocheted on a pillow. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is your life verse, no. Most people, if we're honest, we read this verse and like we like cringe, you know? Back, back, back in that hallway, right beforehand, I always like just give a brief overview of the message to the, to the worship team and tell them when to come out and all that. Like guys, here's the message. Wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord in everything. Let's pray. I mean, that's the message we're gonna talk about for the next 30 minutes together. So here's the interesting. I wouldn't talk about this if it wasn't a major theme. I really wouldn't. Uh, one, of the ways, one of the ways that you understand how important something is in scripture is how clear it is, that's one thing. So if you're like, this isn't clear. Or you, you, it's, it's how consistent is it. So when something is clear and consistent, we better pay attention. In fact, what makes this passage hard because sometimes there's hard passages. Sometimes there's controversial passages. And the reason they're controversial is we don't know what they mean. This one's controversial because we know what it means. It's controversial because it's so clear. Now, it's not isolated, okay? Uh, if you, if for those of you who want to know the other passages, Colossians 3 says the exact same thing. It's Paul's words to wives. He says something a little different, but basically submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's his phrase there. Uh, it, in 1 Peter 3, so same divine author, different human author, Peter speaks to wives who have non-Christian husbands and even takes submission and goes, submit to your non-Christian husband, it will be attractive. And it might be one of the things the Lord uses to convert them. Okay, so that was interesting. Then when Paul's writing to Titus in Titus chapter two, and he's like, in two, he's like giving all these different commands. He's like, hey, listen, like tell the, he tells the, hey, tell the old guys this and tell the young guys this, and he, he kind of does that. And he gets to the older women, he says, hey, tell the older women, and he tells them a couple things. And he says, tell the older women to meet with the younger women and, and teach them to love their kids and submit to their husbands. And then 1 Corinthians 11, which I won't even get to, I mean, it's this deep, read that with your community group, it's like this deep passage about the order of creation and 
Man was created first and then the wife and man was created, the woman was created for the man. I mean, all this stuff that you're just like, what? Did somebody, was Paul a chauvinist? So I'm talking about this now. Here's the thing though. This is, if I can get personal for a moment, uh, in my seven years of teaching here, this is always the most controversial topic I address. I don't mean for it to be. And I talk about a lot of stuff. I can talk about pornography. I can talk about sexuality. I, I, I can talk about, you know, homosexuality. Um, uh, I can talk about money. I can talk about suffering. I can talk about all these topics, but what I have found is this is the one topic, and I don't know what it is culturally, where if you start saying men and women have different roles and different responsibilities, and it primarily shows up in the home and the church, women get upset. It's a little awkward for me every once in a while. I mean, I've had awkward conversations I, that I can remember. I've gotten awkward emails. And here's what I think it is. We're not, this is the unwritten rule of culture right now. We're not allowed to call out women. So what I did was I gave this sermon to my wife and a couple ladies and I've, I had everything that was offensive taken out. So in conclusion, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no. So here's, here's the thing. We are in a time where you cannot call women out. I'm not sure why it is. But I'll give you an example. Uh, a while ago, I spoke at an event. And it was a one-off. I spoke there and... And afterwards, you know, I got, which, you know, when you're a guest speaker and stuff, people say nice things. And, and then the leader, you know, called me and said nice things. And then a couple days later, he called me. And this was a normal, I was not preaching on man who womanhood stuff. And he said, hey, I'm getting some critical, constructive feedback of your sermon. You know, my heart's like, you know, what, what, what happened? He said, a couple people said they thought you called women out too much. I thought, so I would do, I think what you would do. I was like, I'm listening to that message. I put it on, and I'm, I'm note, paper, and pen. And if I called out the guys, I wrote a, a little check on this side. And if I called out the women, I wrote a check on this side. And if I called out both at the same time, then I'd hit both sides. And I listened to it carefully. And I sent it to Pastor David, and I had him listen to it carefully. <laughs> and we both realized, oh my goodness, I called out men way more than women. Way more. Most times I called them out together, but men more than a couple times I said something specifically to women and I realized, this is it. We're not allowed to call out women. It's like, well, hold on, aren't women sinful? You know, I mean, aren't women foolish? Can't women be rebellious? Can women be passive aggressive? Husband's like, ah. <laughs> Can women, be, can women be emotionally manipulative? Yes. Can women gossip and become an expert in reputation destruction? Can women uh, have way too high of expectations for their husbands? I've seen women be unbelievably bad. And we're just not allowed to talk about it. I'm here tonight to tell some of you, 
and again, we're gonna talk to the men next week, but I, this is really, for some of you, we're gonna talk about submission and we're gonna talk about the need to respect and, and, and you just need to hear this, some of you, not all of you. You are the problem in your marriage. Like there are women, I know them, they are. We'll get to the men next week, but they are the problem in the marriage. It's one of the reasons, it's actually hard. I was at a different event. I wasn't speaking at this event. I'm at this event, the pastor gets up. It's all pastors and their wives, this event. And the pastor gets up and he's a good guy. I know him and, and I'm not patronizing him. He really meant well, but I was like, at the end of the message, you know, and pastors can be critical of other pastors' messages. But at the end of the message, I was like, this is the problem. This is the problem. We're having half the conversation. Because he did the thing that every pastor does, which everybody applauds and everybody thinks is a cool thing to do, which is call out all the guys. You know, you're working too much. You know, your work is your mistress. You need to prioritize the family. How loved does your wife feel? And there was nothing said to the women. I mean, I don't even know what would have happened if he would have gone up there and said, some of you women, your expectations for your husband in their current role at work is way too much, your expectations for them. Some of you, when your husbands get home, you make everything worse on purpose because you're bitter. It's like, we have to have that part of the conversation. And so what I wanna do with our time left is I wanna talk about what submission is. Here's what it is. It says this, verse, just verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Now, here's a question to ask. Why start with the women? We'll get this next week, but the men are supposed to be the leaders. And as a general rule, you know, if you're going to address somebody, you would first address the leader. So why would you address the wife before you address the husband? Very simple reason that every man knows and every woman knows. You cannot lead a woman who does not want to follow. Oh. Have you met that woman? By the way, ladies, we need your help. There's nothing men can do. What is a husband going to do? And I know this is your completely politically correct, incorrect and all that says. What is a husband gonna do if he married a crazy wife? Is he going to arm wrestle her? I mean, he, arm wrestle her, no. Um, yell at her and put her in her place, no, sinful and wrong. Um, is he going to take it? Sadly, yes, except he'll, find himself, I've seen this too. This is actually a very biblical teaching, that if a man is not respected at his home, he'll find somewhere else to go where he's respected. So he, why does he travel so much? Why does he work so much? Why doesn't he ever come home? Why does he wanna hang out with the guys all the time? Why is he always golfing? A, a woman should make the husband never want to leave the house and want to get home to the house as quick as possible. Now, here, lady, this is, this is all hard words, and some of you are doing a great job, and I'm not here to beat you up, but build you, build you up, but some women need to hear this, right? And this is why we need you to talk to these women. You need to see something. You need to say something. You know, you, I've been in situations before. Where I was there recently. I'm at, not here, but I'm at this other place, and I'm at this dinner table, and this woman is completely demeaning her husband. It's like, this is hard for me to be in this environment. I just met them. It's like, get me out of here. So here's what the Bible says about, about a wife. That a wife can be either the launching pad or the lid for a husband. I mean, the verse is in Proverbs. It literally says 
A wife is either the crown of a husband's, on the husband's head, which would be like visible, beautiful, valuable, expensive, and everybody sees it. Or a woman is rottenness in his bones. Translation, cancer. I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone who's had cancer. But what the Bible say is if you are living with a nagging wife, and a nagging wife would be considered somebody who is very good at finding fault in an annoying way, that it's better to have non-terminal cancer than to live with someone like that. It's a very similar psychological, emotional, and physical experience. The Bible says it's better to live in the desert. And we're like, what is, you know, like Sedona? No. The desert is where like you die of starvation and thirst. You're given to the elements and wild beasts will eat you alive. And the author of Proverbs goes, probably better than living with a nagging wife. Yikes, this is what it says. I'm not making any of this up. But on a positive note, you can be, so I've seen women, right? And maybe you've seen this, like some of you've seen like, I've seen women marry men. I've met, there's some people in our church that have ever heard about this because their son marries some lady and then she just, we see this sometimes. And he's like a shell and shadow of himself afterwards, right? It's like, oh gosh. And sometimes women are really bad and they wanna bring a division, we can't talk about this here, they wanna bring a division. Not a healthy leave and cleave, but a division between the man's family. I've seen that. We have people in our church heartbroken because some woman took their son away from them. Now, he's guilty too. We'll get to that next week. But this is, but let me encourage you, you could also be his launch pad. I've met very average people, very average guys, potentially below average, okay? But and you wonder how they married this great woman, but it happens. They say you only have to trick one woman one time, right? <laughs> But you trick this one woman, but, but, but they become, so they become a, the better and best version of themselves. So I don't know if this is a true story, fictitious, fable, whatever, but it proves the point. There's a, it doesn't matter what you think about them politically. There's a story that um, Barack and Michelle Obama were at a, you heard the story that they were at, a, uh, they were at this nice restaurant in DC. As the story goes, they find out that the owner of the restaurant, Michelle dated in high school or college. And so it's like, this is interesting. So they come out, the waiter says hello, to, or the owner says hello to him they have a good interaction. He's married, all that. He goes back and Brock says to Michelle, isn't that amazing? If you married him, you'd own this restaurant. She said, if I married him, he'd be president. (laughs) (laughs) It proves we laugh because we know it's true. (laughs) There is a unique power Uh, an encouragement that a woman has in a man's life. We'll get to that next week. A a man is willing, think about how long Jacob was willing to work for Rachel. So now I got to talk a little bit also about what submission is not. Look here, it says this, wives submit to your own husband. So we have to always do this, right? Like, and it's helpful because this is such a pregnant word. It has so much baggage potentially. We have to say, what is, what is, just real quickly, a couple things submission is not. So first of all, not talking to single ladies. We're not, I mean, it does not say women submit to men. It says wives, we'll get to this in a second, submit to your own husbands. But here, this is a really important thing, I think, for single people, both men and women. I think for the men, the word to a single man based on this passage is, do not date a woman who does not have a submissive spirit. How do you know if she has a submissive spirit? You can tell by the way that she relates to her parents. You can tell by the way that she relates to authority the way that she interacts with pastors, professors, other people that are in authority, you can tell. 
Secondly, for women, though, it's basically don't date a guy you don't admire. You know, you, you really want, I mean, I know the standard's high, and I know we all fall short of the ideal, and I know, I know people get desperate. I know all that. And I told you, you get four to six chances usually, and so it's like, ah, you know, is this it? But I'm just telling you, you don't, you don't want the guy. Every once in a while, women are like, he has potential and no one understands him. I'm like, we understand him. <laughs> we all understand him. And potential is not something you marry. Um, and so you, you want to find, ideally, ideally, you would like to date the kind of guy that you're like, I admire you. I, I, want to, I want to follow you. I respect you. You're, you're not perfect, but the direction you're headed in, I would be very excited about attaching my life to yours and going where you go. If, if that's the kind of guy you find, then, you know, this command, we'll get to this, this command isn't easy on, you know, on women. You know, imagine making a clone of you and having to submit to you. You're like, yikes, <laughs> you know? So the first thing is, it's, it's, it's not all women to all men. It's wife to her own husband. It's not all spheres, you could say. The Bible gives roles and responsibilities unique to men and women that we have in the Bible for the church and the home. This is not for all spheres. This is not based on personality, right? Some people, well, some women are like, I can't submit to him, I'm Italian, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, ah. It's like, you know, an, an aid on the Enneagram I've lost some of you here, but an eight on the Enneagram could submit to a two on the Enneagram. By the way, submission is a fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you go to Ephesians 5.18, it's the controlling verse. I don't have time to go to it earlier. It's the controlling verse for the rest of chapter five. So you want to say, I'm spirit-filled, and that means I sing real loudly and lift my hands. Not in the Bible. Spirit-filled in the Bible means I'm grateful and I'm submissive. And those are the signs that I'm filled with the Spirit. And by the way, everybody has to submit. Civilians or citizens submit to the government and children submit to parents and church people submit to pastors. I mean, submission is a fruit of being filled with the Spirit that we all have. Now, he gives a couple of clarifications here. I wanna look at this. He says this, I'm just reading, it's only one short verse. So uh, let me say one more thing. Okay, two more things about submission. Um, submission is not, and I don't know who came up with this, Pastors that I respect are saying this, and I'm like, this is not what submission is. Submission is not casting the tie-breaking vote. Have you heard this? I think it's an attempt, and I, I, again, I'm not patronizing anyone. I think it's an attempt to make submission palatable. I've heard pastors, whom I respect, say, oh, my wife's only submitted to me, you know, seven times in our whole marriage. They've married for like 30 years. And they'll give you examples. I was like, you know, we couldn't decide where the kids were going to go to school and and it was, it was, we just prayed about it. We sought counsel and we were, we were in a deadlock and she said, you make the decision and she submitted. Now, is that submission? Yes. But is that, is that the extent and totality of submission? No, that's, a, that's an element or dimension or aspect of submission. Submission, this is commonly taught that submission is the tie-breaking vote that the husband pulls out the, you know, the card every once in a while. You know, every, every year or two, I'm gonna have to do this, you know. That's not what it is. Submission is, it's the posture and disposition of the wife's heart toward her husband. That's what it is. It's a disposition and a posture of the wife's heart toward her husband. 
Now look what it says here. This is a couple things to just bring this down, make this very practical. I want us to make this very practical. What submission is at the end of the day is an invitation for another person to lead. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it is. It's I'm inviting in this situation my husband, which we'll get to this. This will actually call the best out of him. But I'm actually calling my husband to step up and step out and lead our family. Now, here, a couple practicals. First, I want you to see, we're reading the same verse again and again, but I want you to see something else in this verse. Look what it says. Wives, submit to your, here's the phrase, own husbands. So I already told you, I know it's not women submitting to men, it's wives submit to your own husband, but here's what, it, here's what this means. Submission looks different for every wife because every wife has a different husband. What does it look like to submit to your husband? Well, I don't know. You, you, based on his strengths, based on his weaknesses, based on his giftings, based on his abilities, based on who he is. And, and, and the problem is, usually marriages in which the wife is not submitting to the husband, you don't even have the relationship to talk about how it could work. But try. I mean, it will be, an, for some of you, and I'm gonna get this more at the end, some of you may need to start with an email or a letter. That's, that's, a, that's a good technique when you can't, how do I talk about this with someone? I need to write it down and then send it. But I mean, it, I'm just telling you, if you would say to your husband, you know, it's, you, know how, what, you, you don't have to, if the word submit still makes you cringe, you could use euphemisms. How could I best follow you? You know, what would be, based on who you are and who I am and what you know about yourself and what you know about me, what would be the best way I could be helpful? How do you feel uniquely encouraged by me? I'm just telling you, that's the kind of conversations that will deepen a marriage. But this is why you can't compare what your marriage looks like to somebody else because you're, you've got a completely different situation. And if I'm just talking to the women, you have a completely different husband. And the posture, this is why I focus on submission is the posture and disposition of the heart. That's the principle. The practice may look completely different based on the husband, his strengths, weaknesses, needs, gifts. But then he says this, look, submit, here it is, to your own husband as to the Lord. What, now, you got, I get, look, I'm all about, the, this is just how I teach, the plain straightforward meaning of the text. It's unbelievable, by the way, how much people will try to do what I call hermeneutical gymnastics to try to make this say the exact opposite of what it says. Now, what does it mean as to the Lord? It doesn't mean in the exact same way as the Lord. We're told nowhere in scripture to submit to a human or institution or person uh, in the same way we submit to the Lord. It, it doesn't mean, uh, it's not speaking of the total extent of submission because uh, you've know this, this is a principle of all submission. You submit to earthly authority until it conflicts with divine or heavenly authority. Here's what it's speaking of. It's speaking to the motive. So here's a new thought maybe for some of you wives. Your submission to your husband is part of your Christian obedience. So you've got to deal with the Lord about this if this is an issue for you. And it is for some women. And, it, and sometimes it's because their husband's goofy. 
And he's got a lot of things he's got to work on. You know, and we'll talk about all that next week, but it's like, you've got to deal with yourself. So here's what I'm saying. If you're failing and falling short and submitting to your husband, you're failing and falling short in your Christian duty. I don't know how else to read this passage. Submission is, so don't think inferiority, don't think weakness. I want to actually encourage you. I think submission is very much, it's, it's an, there's an element of courage and there's an element of faith. And there's an element of God, you are in control, even when my husband, I think, is doing something that's, maybe it's not biblical, but I don't think it's best. There is an element to a woman to say, man, I'm really trusting the Lord. Here's what I think. I think, and I don't wanna push this too far. I think in some ways how a woman relates to her husband is how she relates to God. You, you show me some independent woman Listening to a little bit too much Beyonce or something like that? I don't know. I mean, she, don't, she wants to be completely, I've never met a woman who wants to be independent from her husband, but dependent on the Lord. Have you met that woman? I don't think so. There's a deep connection. It's the exact same, it's different, because submission to, of kids to parents is different, but it's the exact same thing. Your, if your kids have a problem with you, they have a problem with God. And the way that they're reacting to you is very similar to how they view God. And that may be your fault in some things you've done too. So that's, there's a whole other side to that. But then it says this. It says this. He gives us a reason. For the husband is the head of the wife. So now I'm gonna try to, we don't have a lot of time left, to try to talk about what's called biblical headship, which probably is unfamiliar to many of you. I'll, I'll explain it. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ, so here's the Christ-centered nature of marriage, is the head of the church, his body and his savior, and, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, um, the word submit is, I haven't shared this yet, is actually a military term. It's a military word. And it, it literally technically means to come under the authority of another person. What we're told is the husband, this is why reading the Bible carefully is so important. We're told the husband is the head. So this is what we talk about, the difference between indicatives and imperatives. Paul does not say, husbands, be the head. He says, the husband is the head of the home. It's like you don't get to, you don't get to do rock, paper, scissors. Who gets to be the head? Is it me or is it the wife? Well, what, she makes more money. Well, she's smarter. It doesn't work that way. God's just saying the husband is the head of the home. He's either a good head or he's a bad head. That's what it means. And what it's saying is that, that headship, which is, is, here's what headship is. Authority with an aim to care. It's, an, it's about authority and responsibility with an aim to care for those under your authority. This is why the Bible warns and has scary language and words for those in authority who abuse it. But here's what it's about. Headship and submission is, is primarily, we saw this, a picture of Christ in the church. Here's what it's also about. Order in your home. How many, I mean, that's, for some of you, that's it. There's no order. Your home is chaotic. You, what do you call something with two heads? A monster. Somebody has to ultimately be the head. 
Somebody has to ultimately be in charge. And I'm sure there are exceptions to this. When I talk to most women, they don't want that to ultimately be them. Maybe you do. I'm not saying every woman feels that way. It's a burden and it's a responsibility that we see as Adam is the head of Adam and Eve. So when Eve sins, God doesn't say, Eve, where are you? He says, they says, Adam, where are you? So he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Now, let me, let me end with one, one other. We're gonna jump down to verse 33, which we'll return to next week again, but, but I, I jump there because verses 25 to 32 is all to the men. But then he gives a summary verse, which I wanna just spend a couple minutes as we close talking about. Here's, here's how he summarizes it, because he gives us, I think, a euphemism uh, for, for submitting. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we're gonna move in just a second to respect. But one other thing I wanna say about headship that I forgot to say that I, I think is important enough. Oftentimes, the husband needs to step in and lead this may sound counterintuitive to some of you women, because actually women are not taking good enough care of themselves. What I mean by that is, what, you know, this is, I mean, the classic problem with women is they're trying to do everything. It's like, and they're overwhelmed and they're doing too many things. And sometimes the husband has to step in and go, I, you're not taking care of yourself. Like, again, I know not everyone has the finances for this and all that. I'm saying, so a husband could come in and say, you know what, we need to get this house clean once a month. Oh, I can't, no, we can't. No, I, I wanna lead in this. I know you're not gonna, you know, you, Sometimes the husband has, to, I've seen this, the husband has to step in. I'm not saying wives don't do this, the husbands do. But sometimes the husband has to step in and go, three of your friends are sucking the life out of you. Do you see that? Like you don't have to put out everybody else's fires all the time. And I know that you're, the, the temptation of women is unrestrained compassion. And so the husband comes in and says, babe, I love you. I'm actually gonna use my authority right now to help you take better care of yourself. Who wouldn't want to follow somebody like that? But, he, but here's what it says at the end. I thought that was important enough to just mention. But here's what it says at the end, that the, the, the wife is, so what, is, what does submission feel like, right? That's a good question. It feels like respect. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. A couple things quickly about this. If you respect your husband, I really believe he will become more respectable. And the way that you respect your husband primarily, all guys are different, but we're also basically all the same, okay? <laughs> Is you respect him verbally, you respect him how you talk to him and how you talk about him. And you have to respect, you're gonna have to find, so, so, so here's what you respect men for. You respect them for their, you can respect them for other things, but I'm just telling you what guys want, what guys like. What guys, you need to respect him for his abilities and his achievements. Some of you, you're just, you know all the things he does wrong. You wish he was more handy. You wish he was better with finances. You wish he put the dishes in the, you know, the right order in the, in the dishwasher, right? You wish he flipped the toilet paper the right way and put the to toothpaste tube back on, all that. Okay, I get that. But what would it be like if you began to catch your husband doing the right thing? And you began to tell your husband how proud you are. I'm telling you, so my challenge to the, and you don't have to do this, okay? Because we don't need willing, willing victims here. I challenge you to write a letter or an email to your husband about how much you appreciate him and how much you respect him. I'm telling you, when women do that, when wives do that for their husband, there's just a part of the guy that's like, 
I'm telling you. I mean, part of the reason I planted this church was because my wife, I was like, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should do this. I think, she's like, if you do this, I think people will follow. I was like, well, let's go. <laughs> I'm just telling you, there's something. You women, you have, I've said some hard things. You have a superpower in encouraging the men in your life. To the men, we'll talk to you more next week, but men, the goal in life under Christ is to be the type of guy a woman would want to willingly, joyfully, and voluntarily want to follow. That's who Christ is. And we'll see next week. Christ is the great head who didn't use his headship to hurt us, to abuse us, to be domineering, but used it in laying down his life for his bride. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for this word. I'm so grateful that scripture is clear when culture is confused. I just pray for wives. This is, I, look, I understand that I couldn't hit everything tonight. Uh, some women have husbands that are dealing with mental illness and, and you, know, that's a, it's, what's, you know, that's a whole thing. People are dealing with husbands that are very difficult, Lord. Some in here are dealing with husbands that aren't Christians. Some of here are trying to figure out how to, how to not nag, but still like things need done and there's problems and things he does bothers me. Lord, I just pray for there to be an atmosphere of respect. We're gonna deal with the men next week, but I pray for them, Lord, that we would all as men be the type of man that a wife would want to willingly and joyfully and voluntarily give herself to and say, I want to follow you. I want to use my gifts, my skills, my intellect as we do something together and as you lead. Lord, would you create those types of families? What I have found is that every time this is preached, it is attacked. But every time it is lived, it is attractive. Lord, would you make us an attractive people that when people come over for dinner or see us at a baseball game or interact with our families, they say there's something different about how the husband and wife interact. And we're able to say, we're just trying to model the pattern that Christ has for his church. That's our model. That's the power we have. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.